Uh, again, welcome to Refuge this morning. So glad you're here. Uh, my name is Matthew, if we haven't met. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you have a Bible, I want to welcome you to grab one. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. We've been in a series looking at the Gospel of Mark. Um, sometimes we go through uh, various themes in the Bible, and then other times we also go exegetically through a book of the Bible, which just means that we just kind of take it line by line, verse by verse, uh, and look and see what God has for us. And so we've taken a look at Mark. He is the shortest of the four Gospels. Uh, he is more like a reading a newspaper, uh, if anything. Uh, he is like the man's version of the Gospel because he gets just straight to the point. No offense to the ladies, uh, but he just gets straight to the point and tells you exactly what's happening, and he, and he kind of skips over things and, and, and goes from one scene to the next scene to the next scene, and so today is no different. Before I get into this, uh, I want to say something about what happened on Friday in the Supreme Court. Uh, as we know what the ruling was, uh, that it struck down the constitutional right to have an abortion. Now, here's my stance on that, and I believe that the elders would, uh, the full body of elders would say, that's a win for life. Um, just make no make mistake about it. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And this is what I felt. It's okay to celebrate that, you know, <laughs> despite the fact that uh, some people uh, will go on your celebratory social media post and nag you until you just pray that God would move in their hearts, I guess is the most sanctified thing I can say. But here's what I want to say in the call to the church is now. Now that goes to the state, as we all are aware. Uh, this makes this call to the church even more greater, and not just for the life of the child, but also for the mother who is going to be facing this challenge. And so what an opportunity that we have as a church to stand alongside these mothers, stand alongside these, these fathers also. We don't want to um, discredit them and then stand with these children. Um, it was, I believe, in, in Rome, early first century Rome, that when they would not when they did not want their infants and their babies, they would just throw them in the trash can. And, and here's a challenge to us. You know who was there to take them? The Christian church. For the past 2,000 years, it has not been the secularists who have taken care of the orphans and the widows. You know who leads that charge? The church of Jesus Christ. And now is not a time to back off from that charge, but to continue to lead that. The church was the one who started the first orphanages. The churches are the ones who have the adoption agencies. It's the church who leads the charge, despite what your culture out there wants you to paint the church to look like we're a bunch of fools. No, we are the ones who are leading the charge and will be the ones to continue to lead that charge. I'm off my soapbox, Mark chapter four. Again, Picking it up in verse number one, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And 
When the sun rose, it scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing the yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse number 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12, they asked him, and this is so vital, about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So they, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How, when, how then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path that is sown to them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. One more time, let's pray over the reading of God's word. Father, I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Although it was my audible voice that spoke, it was your word that we just heard with our very own ears, Lord. So, so for us who are perhaps searching and looking for some divine word or truth, thank you that we just heard it. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't just be listeners or hearers of this word, but we would uh, practically do the word. And I pray that you would be mighty to save in Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's quite a bit of scripture. Thanks for hanging in there. Um, for some of you, that may have been the only scripture you've read for quite some time. Uh, but today we're going to talk about dirt, all right? <laughs> Welcome to church. We get to talk about soil. Isn't that weird? Like you come to church, you expect to hear like some great message. But today, for some whatever reason, God brought you here this morning to hear a message about soil, a message about this parable um, is really kind of a, a look at evangelism and, and it, that how people respond and then why people respond, right? Like when the word of God is preached, uh, here are examples of, of how and why these people are going to respond. Evangelism is like a central theme among this, these beautiful 20 verses. And evangelism, what I mean by that is, is the Great Commission, is that, that we are as Christians, as the church, being a voice, being as the sower uh, with the seed, the word of God, uh, exclaiming and, and proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've heard this message before, you've probably heard it more along the lines of the sower. You've probably heard it more along the lines of, I don't know, the seed. 
Um, but if you've heard this message, try to wash it out. I know that's hard to kind of th- not think about that message you've heard because it's a very popular uh, parable and very popular message to preach from. Um, I would suggest that its primary purpose is to expose to you the effects of the soil. It's not so much about the sower, because the sower is only mentioned a few times, and we know who the sower, the farmer is already. It's not so much about the seed, um, because we know what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. It is the message of the gospel. I would press and say that this parable and this section of scripture that we just read through is more about the soil than it is really anything. And I would caution us to not view this as like the seed, you know, like because you can hear preachers preach this message like, you know what we need to do? We need to modify the seed, right? Let's make the seed more um, palatable. Let's make the seed more tangible. Uh, let's make the seed more so that culture would be more like engaging and, and so that we won't be seen as like weirdos. And so let's, let's fluff it up a little bit. Let's fluff up, fluff, fluff, let's fluff up the gospel message, right? Let's make Jesus more attractive. Let's, let's leave out the harshness of the gospel that there is judgment and that there is sin and that you are dead in your sins. So let's just leave that out. And so this is not a message for preachers to take nor it is for you to take this message and say, you know what, you see the seed? Like it's, it's only like applicable to these soils because we just got to fluff it up a little bit. I would just suggest that's a, that's a bad way of viewing this passage. In context, what we find ourselves in this important message is that there was a little bit of group. In fact, Jesus just got through saying in the last chapter, the last few verses, um, where, where, you know, like his mom and his, his siblings are ask, asking for Jesus. And they're like, hey, Jesus, your, your family's looking for you. They think you're crazy. Um, and, and Jesus looks at them in terms and he says, um, who are my mother, my brothers and sisters? And he looks at the, the small group that's around him and he says, you, you are my mother, my brother, my sisters. It's this small group, it's this group of disciples that he's identified. These are the people who are really following after me. They're not following after my signs and wonders. The context that where we are up so far from these four chapters is that masses of crowds have been following Jesus, but they've been following him for the miracles and the signs and the wonders. And, and they would leave, and the only ones who were left behind really following after Jesus because of his message were, were what he identifies as his mother, his brothers and sisters, his disciples. And so context is that there are large crowds that have been following, and so these disciples are wondering, like, why aren't these crowds like why why aren't we why aren't we seeing them like stick with it like like why are they only here when the when the glorious things appear why are they only here why do they keep leaving it's a, it's a it's really a remarkable um indictment on a lot of people because it it identifies how some of us are really kind of superficial in our Christian walk. It identifies how some of us are really kind of following after Jesus for only what he can give us. And so Jesus identifies, these are the different people who have been following around, and he identifies them by giving us these four different types of soils. That's the context. It's bad soil and good soil. It's this picture of the patterns of the response to the gospel 
Now, what is a parable? Because we're going to be talking a lot about parables, so it's important for us to kind of get an understanding of what a parable is. Parable comes from the Greek word parable, which is para, which is to come alongside or, or really to parallel with each other. So, so it means to lay alongside something else. As a comparison, it's a simple way to make a comparison to something, giving you a a simple spiritual truth. Here's what you can compare it to so that you can understand it a little better. And we know that from Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, parables, it's nothing new, right? Uh, Prophets would use parables. In fact, in, I believe it was 2 Samuel 12, uh, there's a really creepy story about King David. He had his eyes out for a lady that was not his lady. In fact, this lady belonged to another man and was and was um, the the wife of uh, Uzziah, right? And so, or Uriah, and and so. Bathsheba, I don't know why, she was bathing on the roof. I guess that's what they did back in the day. I would recommend you highly not bathe on your roof. Uh, but David saw her and, you know, he got like googly eyes for, old, um, for the lady. And so um, David um, had his military say, um, Uriah, we're going to put you on the front lines. You know what happens to you if you're on the front lines of a battle? You die. All right. <laughs> that's really encouraging to come to church to hear that. But so... David essentially has Uriah killed so that he can uh, have his wife. In, in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, uh, the prophet Nathan comes to David with a parable. Hey, David, suppose that there was a guy, a rich guy, and he has like tons of sheep. Like he, he's got it. He's the greatest of them all. And then suppose you had this other shepherd, he's poor, and he only has one sheep. Rich shepherd's like, uh-huh, you got one? I'm taking it from you. And David's like, oh, man, you got to kill that guy. That guy, you can't steal. You, don't, you, can't, you can't do that. You can't take what's not yours. And Nathan looks at him and is like, um, you're the guy. And David immediately understood because... Nathan took a truth, paralleled it with reality so that David could become spiritually aware of the depravity of his situation. Jesus uses, at least for what we know, about 60 parables in the New Testament, none of which are found in John. Mark uses them a little bit, but a lot of them are in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. He's, he's laying these stories along with this spiritual truth so that the people could understand. Now, here's the reality. Some of them understand, and guess what? Others don't understand. You know what that becomes then? A riddle to them. And we'll find out why these parables were riddles to people when it's just a simple practical truth that Jesus is laying out before them. It's to reveal something, but it's also to conceal something. And it will be concealed to many of the hearers, and we'll see why that is true. So we have the seed, the sower, and the soil. Just real quick again on the uh, the seed. The seed is the gospel message of Jesus in verse 14. The sower sows. He identifies the seed for what it is, is what? The word. 
The word is the message of the gospel. It is the message of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel message that Jesus will rid you of your sins, repent and believe. That's, that's the seed. The sower, in this case, the farmer, uh, and Jesus is illustrating himself as this. Just real quick on this, on this important note. Uh, now who is the messenger? Who is now the sower? Like we now have the seed, the gospel message, so that in turn makes us then this sower. Now, a lot of times uh, we come into church and we examine, we assess the preacher, we lay any blame on him, we, we kind of take his word and we'll just, you know, we just, the preacher, he's crazy, just don't listen to him. It's all to blame, it goes to the preacher, right? That's kind of what <laughs> some of us do. Um. Jesus kind of flips the script a little bit in this parable and he puts the congregation on notice. Instead of you able to judge Jesus' words, Jesus then is taking the congregation and the listeners and is like, I'm going to tell you who every one of you are in this story. And now the congregation is like, what? You just put us on blast, Jesus. And that's exactly what he's about to do. So the soil I love how he opens this up, like, listen, behold, like, listen, like, exclamation, like, like, Jesus is like, you really need to hear what I'm about to tell you because this is really true. Like, pay attention to what Jesus is about to say. He is not wanting to conceal something from you. He is about to reveal something to us. And if you're a believer in this room, like, this will be a revelation to us. Like, he is about to reveal something to us. So we don't want to tamper with the sower, with, with Jesus here in this message. We don't want to tamper with the seed in this message because we know that that is the word of God. And to tamper with one of these two things, it would be something like, well, well, we'd be much more effective if we can change our style or if we changed our message up. Maybe if, if the sower would be a little bit more appealing, maybe if the sower would dress a certain way, maybe if the sower would look like he has his life together, then maybe culture would be able to receive it. So, so we can't tamper with that. It, it's settled. It's done. When God has called you from death to life, you now become the one who is the messenger. You now become the one who is the sower. And if God's chosen you and he's picked you to do this, like he's not expecting you to be like some uh, expositor preacher or he's not expecting you to be like some orator, great orator, like, like I'm here to give a great speech to everyone. He's, he's chosen you for a reason. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to tamper with the message that he's given you. So what we find here then is, is an issue with, with the four types of soil. So what is the soil then? We've identified that the sower is Jesus, is the messenger, and then we then in turn the church are the messenger, and we identified that the seed then is the word of God. So then what is the soil? Well, Matthew's account of this will take it just a little further. In Matthew chapter 13, 19, it tells us that the soil is the heart. That's, that's ultimately what we're talking about. So, so if you were wondering if we were talking about dirt, we're not. We're not talking about actual soil. Jesus is going to always address the matters of your heart. And so what Jesus is about to do is he is about to do open heart surgery on every single one of us. 
And for some of us, it may be painful. For some of us, it may be a, a breath of fresh air. Listen to what he talks about in verse 4 and verse 15. He parallels these two verses to kind of give it a little bit more explanation. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the bird came and devoured it. Verse 15, he kind of gives it a little bit more illustration to it. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. What is the first heart? It's a hard heart. It's a heart that has been hardened to the message of Jesus Christ. The first soil, the first heart he identifies is the one that has been hardened. A hard heart resists the word of God and makes it easy. The bird, who's the bird? The bird is Satan. People come and they trample on this road. We've allowed um, all types of influences and people and that then becomes a danger and it becomes and it hardens the road or it hardens our heart influences from culture people from relationships all of this they hear but they cannot respond or they cannot listen they don't they cannot reflect on what they just heard the message goes in one ear and it goes out the other ear and Satan distracts them and he's waiting and he's, and he's prying and he's, and he's flying low to the ground so that as soon as one of the seeds is dropped, he can immediately catch it up so that you cannot understand what Jesus is saying. The hardened heart says, I will allow every influence and every person to come and crush me before I allow the truth of God's word to shape me. That's what the hard heart says. And, and then he goes on in verse 5 and 6 and then 16 and 17 to parallel that. Uh, other seed fell on the rocky ground and where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You know what this heart is? It's the shallow heart. This heart is like thin soil on a rock, which was very typical of Palestine and Israel. And ironically enough, very typical for us Utans. It is our environment both physically and spiritually. It is a planting a seed on a rock with very thin dirt where the seed cannot take deep root. This is what I would call the emotional hearer. This is the person where, you know, the seed gets thrown into the ground and there's a little bit of like plant that comes up and then the sun comes and suffering comes and, and life happens. And, and I thought Jesus was supposed to make my life full of happiness. And I thought, you know, it's going to be like, like butterflies flying around. I mean, life was going to be great when I followed Jesus. You never understood the cost of following Jesus Christ that it may cause you the relationship. It may cause you suffering in this life. 
Why do you think there's not a call in the New Testament like time and time again for the saints to endure? He's not telling them to endure because prosperity is on its way, baby. He's telling them to endure because they are enduring suffering. Many of the people we come into, and we know these people, like we've all seen it in our walk in the Lord. They get so excited. They were so emotionally high. They, oh, I felt that this morning. Like we, we feel so good for just a short time, but the moment that the enemy presses you, the moment that suffering comes, and the moment that, that you start having questions or whatever, like your seed is withered from the life and the calamities of the darkness. Charles Spurgeon once said that some people seem to have been baptized in boiling water requiring constant superficial excitement to remain faithful. Is that, is that you? I only want to come in here because I want to just feel good. I just want to come in here because I just want to feel the goosebumps and, and I really want the preacher to like yell at this certain point because I love it when the preacher screams, said no one ever. And I love it, like I love the music because the music is like really better than the preacher and, and I just want to feel something really good. And okay, that's fine. I'm so glad you felt something. How long does that feeling last? How long does that last? We, these, these people we've seen come and go, I mean, I've been a pastor for a while and I've seen people come and they, they get so excited about Jesus. But the moment that something comes their way, a temptation because their seed was not rooted in deep soil, it withers. In fact, 1 John chapter 2 would say that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not really of us. They've come for the feeling. And when the truth of God's word got real, they left. And John just said, it's because they were never even really Christians. Because they didn't understand the cost of following Jesus Christ. That's the shallow heart. Then in verse 7, the next soil that he talks about, other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. In verse 18 and 19, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the, those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is the crowded and the suffocating heart. The crowded and the suffocating heart pictures the person who receives the word receives the seed, receives the word of God, but they do not truly repent. This year has too many different kinds of seeds growing in their own hearts. Worldly cares, as he says, desires for riches, a, a lust for things. And the good seed has no room to take root because we're too busy 
We're, we're too busy chasing after the cares of this world. We're too busy chasing after riches. We're too, uh, we're too interested in, in continuing on in our lifestyle without being changed. We want to continue out in our desires for sexual pleasures, desires for lustful things. We, have, we want our foot into sin, and we want our other foot in God's word. And God would have none of that. They're not willing to give up the word of God, the truth of his scripture to gain Christ They have, like Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, they have substituted the creator for the creation. They have said in their own hearts that my way is better than God's way. They have said in their hearts that that my way is better than the truth of God's word because I'll have my own truth. They have said I'll follow after my lifestyle and I will not follow after Christ. They want the Bible to change with the culture. Then the next heart, which gives us a little bit of breath here, is found in verse number eight and verse 20. Another seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, and then the 30-fold and the 60-fold and the 100-fold. This is what we call the fruitful heart. This is, the, this, is, this is the picture of the true believer. This is where, because the fruit or, or the seed, the word of God has, has planted deeply into our lives. It is when the gospel takes full root and takes over every aspect of us and we become changed more into the image of who Christ is. We accept God's word as truth and we're not willing to compromise the word of God. We're not willing to change the truth just because our culture changed. Truth is such an interesting concept in our world today, is it not? With absolute truth and then others with their own particular truth. It gets really muddy and it gets really crazy. Again, I don't want to, um, I want to be sensitive when I talk about these types of things, but I also want to expose the truth. Like if you follow me on social media, I'd probably recommend you not um, because I kind of get myself into predicaments and I don't mean to. Um, I just feel like I have a voice God has given me and if you don't want to come to church on Sunday, I'm going to tell you on social media. I, oh, I will. Amen. So I just kind of praised and celebrated what happened on Friday. That was it. You know, it's like, hey, we're celebrating the fact. We raise a glass. And we're going to pray for those who are angry. Pray that they're regenerated by the spirit of God. And you would have thought that I had, like, cut somebody's throat. In fact, I I was charged with being a self-righteous religious bigot. Please hear me. If you want to call me a self-righteous religious bigot because I'm holding the banner of God's truth, then so be it. I will stand before Jesus Christ himself one day. What am I I trying to do? Please, you? 
I'm probably, I'm pro- quite sure I've already failed at that on a numerous time. Just hang around me, all right? I'm weird. I'm awkward, right? I may say something that's offensive that I didn't know was offensive to you, right? But I will stand before King Jesus as my Savior. I do not want to stand before him as my judge. And when to, I'm not trying to look after your approval ratings. All right, I ain't the president. I'm not, I don't care. I'm not running for Congress. I'm bannering the truth of God's word. And if they call you a religious bigot, so be it. We cannot substitute the truth of God's word. Now, I'm not telling us to go out and be a bunch of turds, all right? That is not what I'm saying. And, and I don't think I was, all right? It's just, you have to expose the darkness. And we need more people carrying the light of Christ. It's keeping the word of God knowing one day we'll stand before the ancient of days. We'll stand face to face with King Jesus. This is not a seed that was sown on someone who is lukewarm, someone who has kind of got their foot in one, one aspect of life and the other in the word. This is one who has devoted their lives to Christ, understanding there's a cost of discipleship, understanding that God may get you to move 2,000 miles away from your comfort of your family and your friends, leave everything you know behind and sell all of your belongings to come to the most unreached state in the United States of America to come and plant the gospel of Jesus. I know because that's what happened to me. I understand the cost of what it means to follow after Christ. And the word of God is rooted deeply in my heart. These fruitless hearts, you have the hard heart where the devil snatches the seed. This shallow heart is this flesh and this counterfeit religion where, where we want experience, 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 hype, hype, hype. We have this other, where the crowded heart, where we're smothered by our way instead of Christ's way. I read this text and I understand now what a broader understanding of, the, of, of how difficult evangelism is. I can't tell you the amount of brick walls that I've personally hit with people Here. It is though like this, this, especially this rocky soil situation is like literally Utah. Like literally our town, literally where we live. God has placed us in a place where there's spiritual rocky soil. And you got to imagine like for these disciples, they're thinking, and they're, you know, go back to the context. Why do the crowds keep leaving us, Jesus. Like, why, why do the crowds, they're not, they're not sticking like we are. And Jesus is like, because some of them are more concerned about the things of the world. Other than, others are just there for an experience. They're following after my signs and my wonders. Other than they just have hard hearts. And so you got to know that for a disciple, don't you think they would have got a little discouraged by this? 
oh, Jesus, you're talking about the fruitful heart. You're talking about the heart that's like, that's just growing exponentially where the seed just grows exponentially. Like, where, where is that? I, I get that. Because I, I am the disciple in this passage asking Jesus, God, why, where, where's the harvest? Like, why does the seed keep falling on rocky soil? And you know what my call is in this? And you know what your call in this? And the point of this, remain faithful. In, in Matthew 21, um, Jesus says that, you know, you'll come to me and, and I will tell you, enter in my, my what? My good and faithful. He doesn't say my good and um, you know, you are such a great producer, you know, my, my good and successful servant, my good. And like, you know, man, you really looked good. You made my gospel message look so great. How did on earth did I not do this without you? He's just looking for people who are going to be faithful to the call that is in this text. A people who will be faithful to be the sower and plant the seeds and whether or not they fall on rocky soil on, on, on the, the ground, on the road, or whether they fall, these hard hearts. That's none of our concern. We're not about results. We're about the process. And that's what God has called us to. Now, interesting enough, and I'm about to, to be out of your way. Interesting enough, um, as these disciples are questioning, as these disciples are like, where are all the crowds going? Where are the people going? Interestingly enough, God uses these disciples that after the ascension of Jesus and 10 days later after that, Peter goes out, boldly proclaims the message. He goes out and he sows the seed and it wasn't on Peter on what type of soil it fell on. It was just on him to be faithful to the word of God and thousands came. And, and, then, and then a week later, thousands. And then weeks later, up to 20,000 people are coming. I imagine in those moments, the disciples probably looked back at this parable that Jesus gives them, and they're probably thinking, hey, guys, you remember when Jesus was telling us about the parable of the seed? Look what's happening now. They couldn't control the timing. They couldn't control the results. They just were faithful to the call. And that's my question. Are you faithful to the call of Christ? And are you faithful to the cause of Christ? Oh.